All right. As most of you know, I spent this past week at Southern Seminary uh, in uh, Louisville, and it was, uh, it was really a, a great week, very encouraged. The doctrinal seminar I took was entitled Leadership in Volunteer Ministries. I told you last week that, you know, I'm not, uh, I've never read a book before about leading a volunteer ministry, even though that is the core of my job on a practical level. I mean, I need to preach the word and counsel, but, but really seek to, seek to do that a lot. Um, and the idea of our class was really to help ministry leaders really think through their, their ministry context and, and evaluate the recruitment, training, motivation, retention, retention and replacement of, of volunteers. And, and I know one of the things that, that became very clear to me in the reading for this class is that I am like terrible at this, is I, I don't do very well at like really calling people to rally to a task. Um, I'm just not a hard persuader. I'm not, I don't make the hard call. I'd rather just God stir within your heart to do what to do. I, I don't do a lot of, I do a lot of delegating, but very little management of those that I delegate to, or very little help and encouragement. Um, and so this class is very helpful. I find that I, I have major ways to improve on this. But the encouraging thing is that many ministry leaders don't do that very well. I mean, there's, there's just a, a lot. So I wasn't, wasn't alone. It's a challenge to motivate people in the ministry context, really, to give of themselves to serve other people. But, and I just I trust the Lord stirs your heart to serve others like you do, and I appreciate that. Well, in, in our seminar, we spent much of the time talking about our, our ministry contexts. Uh, one of the things the professor said was that uh, around this table, and there were 16 of us in the class, he said, there are hundreds of years of ministry experience here. And so let's just really learn from each other. So a portion of the class was to present what I preached on last week, uh, and kind of everyone did that. They created a that presented their biblical theological model for ministry and, and how their current praxis is leading up to that and how well it does and, and help for improvement or how some things can go. And we shared our wisdom together. Here's a picture of our seminar. And uh, I tell you, this is all across the spectrum uh, of these people here. We had some from, uh, some from Africa, dear folks from Nigeria, and one from South Africa was great. Some locals from Louisville. The professor and the guy who took uh, took the picture. We had those who worked in the inner city. Uh, boy, one this one man, um, Raphael, from St. Louis, um, Ferguson, St. Louis. Maybe that rings a bell. He was right there in the heart of things, standing between the police and the city people, and just laboring, laboring away was was good. One guy's a. Um, these guys are involved in school. School administration, one at college, one at high school level. Kind of, they're both these schools are tied to churches, so they're both pastors as well. One guy's a, a church planter. Um, um, this guy's in D.C. Greg Gibson is planting a church in D.C. right now. His church is 30 people, and uh, this is like his core team he's going to launch with. And some of those people aren't even Christians yet, if they'll be whatever. So that's just what you do in church planting. Uh, oftentimes, you just kind of gather gather people there. Another guy is on staff of a 15,000-member church. So those experiences are, are quite different. Another guy just stepped down recently from his ministry because of uh, problems and difficulties and trials there. Uh, a couple other guys are facing some major challenges. We had a woman in the class who is like, um, part of a, a parachurch organization helping to 
equip women in ministry. I'm telling you, it's really informative, very helpful um, to hear these people in their own ministry contexts and to hear counsel that other ones gave. I, I think the guy I appreciated most was Raphael. Every time the guy spoke, just wisdom flowed out of his mouth and um, just very helpful. Um, but one, one of the most helpful things I discovered was that of all the places, of all they're doing ministry, I'd rather be at Rock Valley Bible Church than any of those places. I mean, uh, you, you, think about, um, you think about being at a place of 15,000 people. How wonderful. They, they brought in 1,000 new members this year. But 1,000 people left their church too. And they're all about numbers because they have this huge campus and they've got to keep it going. And everything is all about church. They don't have any ministry, any organized formal ministry in the homes. Everything is all like church-centric because um, that's what it's about. It's about building up the big, the big gathering. Um, and many of the churches where you're just about kind of going to church, like, like going and feeling like you've finished your ministry as you've, if you've gone to church, uh, or inviting others to come. Yeah, right? You learn some things, get stirred, and then you go back home and do your life. But there's little connection, really, between people of the church. And I just say that, that our culture at Rock Valley Bible Church is so different than most all of these cultures. Um, you know, maybe this church plant where they're meeting together, dreaming about some things together, maybe that's closest. But uh, we're just so relational, more organic, more family-oriented than other places where People kind of see church as kind of a business or a place or a thing that you do. And certainly we, we have our weaknesses. We're, we're sinners. Okay? We, we're, we're, I have deficiencies. Um, you know, I'm not good at, le- at creating an environment with lots of things and lots of activities to go on. Um, and, and in some ways, right, my, my weakness is our strength, that our focus at Rock Valley Bible Church isn't on all the things we're doing, but is on serving real people who've got real needs and being in the lives of, of people. Um, so I, I think that my weakness has helped to create a life here where there's genuine love and there's genuine care among us because what I've promoted is just real life ministry, not just some kind of church activity, um, which is different than a lot of these church cultures. And maybe the best way to illustrate is last week when I mentioned the book, The Trellis and the Vine, and I read from it. Um, just really talking about for a vine to thrive, it needs a trellis that it can scale up and grab onto. And when you think about ministry terms, the vine is people, the, the vine is life and relationships and that which grows. And the trellis is the structure and the organization and the methods and the activities that helps and aids that. Um, and here's a picture of a, of a good, healthy vine, right? The vine is growing and the, and the, the trellis is holding it up. And I showed these guys, I said, this is Rock Valley Bible Church, though. We got a vine growing here, but our trellis is lacking quite a bit. Um, so that's, that's kind of where we are. And it's very interesting that as I presented this picture to the people, I just said, hey, yeah, there's vibrancy, there's body life going on. I, I said, but lacking in some of the areas of just real specific and defining things and setting up some trellis, that they all were envious of what we got here. Uh, in fact, one guy said, can I come and visit your church? Because their church is just not that. Their church is just kind of come and everybody's like an island to themselves and it's a lot of tradition. And uh, their churches often are like this. Many of them confess to that. The trellis they got, 
They got all the programs. They got everything. They got their, their things organized. They have um, even things happening, lots of, lots of church activities. But in many ways, it's just trellis. And that people on the vine, are, there's, there's not a lot of life in it where it's really dead and withered or lacking altogether. And they all said this, it's a lot easier to build a trellis than it is to give life. And so they, they encouraged me with that. Um, but I, and so I, I heard about what they did. I said, I'd like to be a Rock Valley Bible Church more than those other places. I, I want to be where there's, where there's life and joy. And I think one of the reasons why there is that here at our church is because the path of involvement. Right? You want to get involved in Rock Valley Bible Church? We don't have all these programs, all these activities going on. You just go there. The path to involvement is this. Come, hang out. Get to know other people. Build relationships with them. Sunday morning here is a great place to start. But small groups is, is a great place really to help to get to know people. And then when you get to know people, then you have relationship. And, and really, you want to be involved at in Rock Valley Bible Church? Get beyond Sunday relationships and have a Tuesday relationship with somebody. That is a relationship with someone on Tuesday. Or, or have a Saturday relationship with people. Because if you're just Sunday relationship, uh, it's, it's not a lot. But it's the inner week, and small groups is a great way to kind of help that. In fact, we have three of them tonight, right? You're meeting? Weebies are meeting? Uh, we're meeting in our place. Hooks, are you meeting tonight? Yep. Okay, so we got three places. If you're new, you say, hey, I want to find a place. I want to just go to, just go to these. And then, and then when you're sitting around the couch in a circle, there's a way that you get to know people different than you're sitting in a, in a pew looking forward. And just the whole aim of that is so that you might have a Wednesday relationship so that you can really figure out life on life, so you can really serve other people. Um, I don't want to embarrass you, Bonnie, but you had a good friend pass away this week. She passed away on Monday. Um, and uh, she served in the Philippines for many, many years. Child Evangelism Fellowship came back. And Bonnie, and she just had a relationship where Bonnie just really helped Juanita and served her and helped her. And that's beyond church context. So you're just really in her life. And uh, now... When he's gone, go be with her Savior. And, and kind of got a hole, like, okay, so where's another place? I told Bonnie this morning, that's where I'm going to be praying for her. Other places and other people where you can just mix in and serve. That's the real life of, of church. And that's what we've promoted at Rock Valley Bible Church. That's what I want to encourage all of you on, um, to just find those things. And, and programs are good and well, but, and that's, that's okay. There's activity, there's stuff that's helpful with that. But it's really life on life that, that we need. And so that's what... What our, what our church is, um, and that's where we're aiming, kind of the trellis and the vine. We need enough trellis for the vine. But one of the things that this book really talks about, though, is beyond what I'm envisioning here about just body life together. Um, the trellis and the vine just talks about doing what you can do to foster that life, not only in the church, but also outside of the church as well. And particularly just life-on-life ministries where you're getting down and messy with other people, where particularly people who don't have life, where you are, you are with them and, and seeking to be out with them and, and then leading them to Christ and then growing them up and building them up so they likewise can be a vine grower, not a trellis grower. And so we're talking about really life-on-life ministries and particularly the emphasis I spoke about last week, a weakness of our church is life-on-life ministries are those outside the church. Now, we have been very intentional at Rock Valley Bible Church not to burden us all with a ton of meetings. That's, that's intentional. 
Um, some people in my class, they meet Sunday morning, they meet Sunday night, they meet Wednesday night. I'm like, okay, so when do you have time to meet with anybody outside of the church? And they don't because everything's all just church, church, church. Well, we meet on Sunday mornings and we have small groups and then there are a bunch of other things that happen informally. But the idea is to be able to free you up to be real families with other people so that you can reach out with life. And so this morning, I want just to encourage you with, with how to reach out people in a life-to-life ministry is a message from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. If you haven't turned there, I invite you to take your Bibles and open there. 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 9 and 10. Uh, page 10, 1015, your pew Bibles. If you forgot your Bible, don't have your Bible. Um, my message is entitled this morning, Proclaim the Excellencies. Proclaim the excellencies. And um, the idea here is just that I want to encourage all of us to be proclaimers of the excellencies of Jesus. Particularly with those who don't know Christ. His better marriage event. Invite some families along, other couples along, and proclaim the excellencies of Jesus and the worthiness of following him. So let me read it for you. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You know, I remember growing up in the 1980s watching a, a television show. How many of you know this show? Some of you. What's it called? Okay. And, and what happened? They all said it together, right? What's it called? That's incredible. That's what this show is. Can you name these people? Fran Tarkington, right? Not Skit Stevenson, don't. Davidson, good. And the the gal in the middle is nobody knows. Okay, that ought to be a lesson about fame. Okay, because in the 1980s, most everybody would know who she was, and now the fact that you don't know—I mean, fame is fleeting. Anyone? Kathy, Kathy Lee, Crosby. Kathy, good. I appreciate your willingness. Thanks for audience participation. That is wonderful. Okay, for those of you who remember the show, just little vignettes and little segments of just incredible things that people do. Um, whether it's a little kid learning to bowl at a real young age, right? or, or maybe someone with special skateboarding ability, or someone maybe who's even overcome some great disability to be able just to live and manage a, a fairly normal life, or even sometimes medical breakthroughs. Uh, of something that, that it was just recently invented, that what that can do, or, or Rubik's Cube competitions they had, or, or people who can do like smoke-filled bubbles, or something's downright dangerous, sometimes like daredevil stuff, like the skydiver who jumped out of an airplane while handcuffed in a straitjacket. That, that'll kind of get your attention. And um, I, I think one of the reasons why the television show made an impact on me is because That's Incredible came and visited my hometown. Uh, when I was in high school, there was a, a fellow high school student. He was, I think, three years ahead of me. So I'd have been a freshman. He was a senior when this happened. And uh, he got a hold of some psychology from B.F. Skinner and behaviorism and he just positive reinforcement. And so he taught some rats how to play basketball. 
just through ringing a bell and giving them food and putting the thing in. And so what they did was, that's incredible, came to DeKalb High School, invited a bunch of kids for a, for a big cheer and uh, for a big section. They brought Bill Baker in, who's the voice of NIU Huskies. He's been the voice for 50 years probably. He's still there. And he, he talked about, just you know, kind of, kind of gave a play-by-play of these rats kind of going through these things. And it was, it was kind of fun, neat to watch the production when it, when it came out. But one of the things I remember at the end of the television show is that at the end of all these things, the audience would all chant together, that's incredible. Here's what it sounded like. Okay, you ready? Here's your cue. You ready? That's incredible. It sounded just like that, right? They do this thing and they just say, that's incredible. And the idea is it just should blow you away what was happening and taking place. Well, this morning in our text, this should be your response. When you read 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, you ought to go away and say, wow, that's incredible. In fact, that's what, what I want us to do, okay? I want to read here the first half of verse 9. I want to read it, and when I'm done, I want us to all say, that's incredible. Okay, you ready? But you are a ro- chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's incredible. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. That's incredible. That's right. Okay. Do you see what's incredible about these words? Maybe not. Okay. But here, here's, the, here's my goal. My aim of my message is by the end of my message, you'll be able to look at verse 9, and you'll be able to look at verse 10, and you'll be able to say, wow, that is incredible. Well, my outline this morning, I have two points. My, my first one is this. Just embrace His grace. That's what verse 9 is, is really talking about here, is just embracing the grace of God that we have in Christ Jesus. And if I open my Bibles there, I can, I can get there. Uh, but we see really six descriptions of who we are as Christians, believers in Christ. We are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a people for God's own possession. We are God's people. We are people who have received mercy. Now, what is so incredible about this this verse here, this this passage here, is the audience to whom Peter writes. Peter writes in verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And uh, if you work through the letter, you can see that he's writing to Gentiles. Look at chapter 1, verse 18. He says this. He says, You were ransomed from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. That is, you were, inher- you were ransomed from your, your feudal sinful life of your Gentile parents. Or chapter 4, verse 3, he describes that the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sexual- sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatries. Right, so the time has passed for you to be involved in those Gentile sins. And now you can live for Christ. And, and what and, and most commentators would, would agree with that. Though there are some that say, no, he's written to Jewish believers. I, I, think, I think he is writing to Gentiles. What, what's amazing about that is, is that for 2,000 years of human history, God set his focus upon the nation Israel. 
And now he says to the scattered churches everything that was true of Israel. That you Gentiles are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. You are God's people. And you are people who have received mercy. In other words, right? The favor that God gave to Israel has now come to the church. Made up of Jew and Gentiles. So in other words, God looks down upon all who believe in Christ and call them a chosen race. And I don't think that displaces Israel. I think there's a future for Israel. When we go through Romans and get to Romans 11, we're going to see that all Israel will be saved, right? There's a day when the Jews will turn to Christ. God's promised that'll be the case. I mean, they're the only nation that's a guarantee from God that there's going to be revival in that nation. America doesn't have any guarantee from God. Britain doesn't have any guarantee from God. China doesn't have any guarantee from God. But Israel has a guarantee from God that he will work in those people because he has a heart for them forever. You're going to see the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel etched on the gates of New Jerusalem. And we must never forget the Jewish roots of the Old Testament are the very thing that supports us. Romans chapter 11. So I'm not saying to ditch the Jews, but Peter's talking about God's expanding work in this world. Everything that was special about the Jews is now special about those who believe in Jesus. No longer is the Lord focused merely on one nation. Rather, Jews and Gentiles share in the inheritance. No longer is the ethnic identity tied with the just mere covenant that God made with a specific people, but it's the covenant that God made with Christ that brings us into the Abrahamic covenant. Consider Galatians chapter 3. Know that it's those of faith who are sons of Abraham. So through faith, we become sons of Abraham and part of this wonderful Abrahamic covenant. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the man of faith. That we who believe, it's like, like we've become Jewish. Like everything that's true about the Jewish nation is true about us. That's what Peter's saying. He says you're, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And, and you need to grasp how incredibly marvelous that is. In the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote to the state of a non-Jewish person. He said, remember that when you, before Christ, you were at that time separated from Christ, Ephesians 2.12, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. So in other words, if you're a Gentile, apart from the Jewish nation, before Christ came, alienated from God, like God is something different, he's like, like totally off and gone. You're strangers to the covenants of promise. You, that is, you don't have any relationship being with the, the covenants of promise. You don't have any relationship there with, with the covenants, no promise to you. You're without hope. You have no hope that God has promised anything to you, and you're without God in the world. But with the coming of Christ, those who are outside then can become inside through faith in Jesus. You know, today in our society, we've talked a lot about illegal immigration. Other nations crossing our borders illegally without government permission. And there's benefit that our country has got by working among us, but they fail to pay taxes oftentimes. There's a burden on our social services. And there's a push today to deal with that problem. And I'm thankful for President-elect Trump. He says, let's, let's solve this problem. I think it's a wonderful problem. He's working at solving 
And because um, he says, basically, we want to have citizens. We need to have legal citizen, citizens, right? We've got to have a country. But, and, and I think that's all wonderful, right, where, where things are going because we need to solve that problem. It's a sticky problem, but at least we're, we're tackling it. It'd be good. But you know what? If you were a Gentile, you could never immigrate into the Jewish system. You could never become a legal citizen. The best you could become is a proselyte. That is one who's always, always a little bit different. I mean, you could come into Israel, be a productive member of society. You could work really hard. You could learn the laws and customs of a land. You could speak the language. You could give to the temple financially. You could be circumcised. You could be a model citizen. You could be more patriotic even than any Jew could be. But you would never be allowed to have full citizenship into the society. You could, best, you could be a, a convert, a proselyte. And, and in your worship, you could only come so far. You couldn't go beyond that. Archaeologists have found a, a stone pillar in the temple area upon which is written, No man of another nation is to enter within the fence and enclosure around the temple, and whoever is caught will have himself to blame that his death ensued. And could you imagine Rock Valley Bible Church having such a, such a sign right, out, right in front of those doors there? No man who's grown up outside of Rockford can enter into these doors. Whoever's caught will have himself to blame that his death ensued. So when people come, hey, nice to meet you. Uh, did you grow up in Rockford? Uh, no, I just moved here a few, few weeks ago. Um, you got to stay out here. Well, we got, we got speaker systems so you can hear everything going on. Or, or someone, someone goes, did you, did you grow up in Rockford? No, but I've lived here like the last 30 years. Um, sorry, you can stay right out there in the foyer. Can't come in. I mean, that that, that we think is so strange um, was reality. That, that, they, that they really understood the holiness of God. And they believed in just the, the separateness of the people of Israel, that they were this nation. It's recorded in Acts 21 that, that when Paul came into that temple of Israel, a temple, um, people falsely accused Paul, saying this, Men of Israel, help! This man, Paul, is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law of this place. He has even brought Greeks into this temple and has defiled this holy place. And they thought he brought Greeks in. They were ready to arrest him and to kill him. For bringing Greeks into the holy place to defile the holy place. Gentiles were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That's just the reality of an Old Testament um, Gentile. No hope the Messiah would come for them without God. But in Christ, it has all been changed. And that's why this verse is so incredible. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly have been far off and brought near by the blood of Christ. We, we were far away because we were Gentiles, but through Christ then we become part of this Chosen race and royal priesthood. We come near to the Jews in one body, which is called the church. And that's exactly what Peter's getting at here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The church is God's chosen race. And the church is composed of many ethnic groups from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And God looks down upon us and considers us to be one race redeemed through the blood of Christ. We are all fellow heirs. And fellow members of the body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, Ephesians 3.6. Now, do you see how incredible those things are? Well, they help. Let's just start looking through these. We are 
a chosen race. Many times in the Old Testament, God referred to Israel as his chosen nation. Israel whom I've chosen. Israel my chosen one. Isaiah 44, 1. Isaiah 45, verse 4. Listen, right? It all began with Abraham, the one that God chose and elected and said, I'm just going to bless this man and I'm going to form a great nation out of this man. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, but I'm going to make you the head of a, of a great nation. I'm, I'm choosing you. And as they're about to enter the promised land, listen to what Moses said to Israel. You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. Of all the people, the treasured possession is Israel. And now that's us, that we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. Even in Israel, this didn't mean that everyone is priests. I mean, because they had the, the, those from Aaron and the Levites, those were the priests. And yet it, it means that we have a, a priesthood function. They would have a priestly role, Israel would, especially as it relates to the, the nations of the world. That it was, it was through Israel that God would make himself known. And that's what a priest does, right? Provides access to God. And that's the relationship that Israel had with the world. And, and that's our relationship as well, is that how does the world know God today? Through his priests, through us, as we tell people of God. We are the royal priesthood. It's through us that the mouths, of, that the, the glories of the gospel can be spoken. We are a holy nation. <clears throat> Exodus 19. God said, Israel, you shall be a holy nation. Now, that's why God gave them the law, to teach them what it means to be a holy nation, right? To, to walk righteously and to right, walk in a holy way, right? And, but, but there's also this, this separate nature of people that, that this people is going to stand apart and be different. Don't intermarry with those people. Right? Make no covenant with the people in the land. Because you're to be holy and sanctified and set apart and to walk in my ways. And we ought to do that as well when we as a church, as Peter says, chapter 1, verse 16, right? As it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Just as God told Israel to be holy, so we ought to be holy. We ought to be distinct. We ought to be separate. That is, in a pure way, walking righteously before the world. doesn't mean to be out of the world. It doesn't not be of the world, but we ought to be distinct and different from the world. But we are a holy people, not just a nation. And I love this next one, a people for his own possession, the idea here is that God wrapped his arms around Israel. He was hugging them. He was protecting them. He was, he was comforting them. He says, do not fear. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine, Isaiah 43.1. And the idea is that God would possess Israel, that he would own Israel, bring them close. You know, and there's nobody I can bring close as I can my wife. And there's nobody that God promised to bring close like Israel. And now, it's those who believe in Jesus that God says, I'm going to bring you close. It's amazing. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Right? Here he is. Don't fear. I've got you. I'm upholding you. And what was true of Israel is now true of the church. We are the people of God, or we are God's people. We are 
Also, those who receive mercy, right? We take both of these two things together. And because there's a contrast. If you look in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's, it's like once we, we weren't the people of God. We were apart. We had no hope. But now God has brought us in. At one point, we're under his wrath and condemnation. But now in Christ Jesus, we've been brought in to know his mercy and his grace. And I just say that is incredible. If you understand the scope of the Bible, you understand the scope of history, you understand God's dealings with people in Israel, and to realize that comes to us, it's amazing. And yet so often we can just read by these things and just say whatever. Well, embrace his grace. Second point here this morning, proclaim his fame. Second half of verse 9. We are a chosen race, royal priesthood, a holy nation, and people for his own possession. Here's the purpose that, here's why, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, in other words, God has brought us in, brought us close, so that we can speak and that we can be a proclaimer. Logic goes like this. God has brought some unbelievable blessings into your life. He's given you the promises He made to Israel. He's brought you out of a a hopeless and helpless situation. He has brought you in to be His own. He's given you now a hope which is beyond all hope. And your role is simply tell others of how excellent God is. Proclaim His excellencies. It's interesting here, these two verses in Peter. Does this remind you of a phrase maybe at all? We exist at Rock Valley Bible Church to what? Enjoy His grace and extend His glory. That's exactly what 1 Peter 2 is talking about. That's why I'm talking about it here today. I think it's the, the way that God delights to use us as people is to enjoy the grace of God, know the grace of God, right? embrace His grace, and then proclaim His fame. Right? Get it out there. Extend His glory. Be speaking. Because it says here right, that we are given these blessings that we might speak. It's almost as Peter is saying this. It is as if Peter is saying this. It's a natural thing for you to speak to others about Christ. I know it's hard to talk to people spiritually. But that's what Peter's argument is. And I think that's what enjoying his grace, extending his glory is about. We're so overwhelmed with the grace of God, we can't help but to speak it. Okay, so let's go back to the 1980s. That's incredible. It's playing on the airwaves. Okay, this was back when um, people watched television. Okay, I'm not sure you guys really know this phenomenon, but it's totally, it's, it was totally different. Like back then, it, it got to be evening and whatever, 7 or 8 o'clock. Right? I mean, you guys can say amen if this is right. Okay, guys, it was 7 or 8 o'clock, and you had like three choices. You had ABC, NBC, and CBS, and you were watching one of those three shows, right? Right? Three. Okay, and so you'd watch this, and then so you'd come to work or school the next day, and your conversation was about one of three things, either what was on ABC or CBS or NBC, and because you didn't have, okay, Netflix didn't exist, and YouTube didn't exist, and all these other things, you didn't have, you didn't have anything you wanted, you only had these three choices, all right, amen, amen, that's how it was, all right, so you had these three choices, and so what happened was, at work or at school the next day, people said, oh, did you see, that's incredible last night, 
And you're like, yeah, I saw it. Did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Who says, oh, did you see that neat YouTube video last night? <laughs> like, it's like so dispersed, right? But, but so lots of people, okay, I want to say a fourth of the people, a third, one-fourth didn't watch, but the other three were watching, doing something. But anyway, it, it just had a lot more impact. And, and, and here's the discussion. Did you see that last night? And I say, wow, that, wasn't that amazing how that guy put his whole body into that real small box? And another one said, yeah, I saw that, but I was more impressed by the guy who jumped his motorcycles over those three helicopters while they were spinning around. Did you see that? Oh, that, was, that was amazing. And I can imagine, right, the, the other one, the co-worker at the water fountain, the drinking fountain, just talking about, wow, the blind boy with severe brain damage. I, I was just amazed by his musical ability. Just that, that amazed me. And so these conversations would take place. And what would people speak about? They'd speak about what captivated them in that particular show. <clears throat> and it wasn't difficult to talk about it. That's what they found stirring. And I would contend this, is that when God has stirred your souls to the amazing grace of God in Christ Jesus to us, and your soul is, soul is stirred, you can't help but to talk about Jesus. You can't help to talk about his grace that called you out of a sinful life to serve the living and true God. You can't help but speak about the, 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 the loveliness of Christ, how gracious he's been and so amazed you are. It's what, what took place in the early church. <clears throat> Excuse me. The early church tried to muzzle early Christians, the apostles. They, they, they brought them in under threat of punishment. And constantly it says, well, you judge to be right. Is it, is it right to obey God or man? And they said, no, we got to obey God. We're under compulsion. This is what we have to do. They couldn't contain themselves. And again and again, after being arrested and beaten, they said, we're going to obey God rather than men. And, and even flogging didn't stop them from speaking. Instead, they went from those places rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And do you know, it's Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. You understand why it is that the early church kept speaking of Jesus? Let me just read it for you. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 says this. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Right? Peter and John were just bold. They said, it doesn't matter. You can beat us. You can throw us into prison. We're going to keep speaking about Christ. And they said, they're, but they're just uneducated common men. They don't know anything. Like, they don't know the Bible very well. They, they've not been to Bible school. Like, they're talking with such wisdom and boldness. <clears throat> they recognized that they had been with Jesus. In other words, I think that they had been with Jesus and had been so overcome by him, they'd seen his resurrection and couldn't help but to speak about Jesus. That's what transformed these fishermen and to give strong testimony for the gospel. They saw Jesus, they witnessed his death and resurrection, and were on a crusade to make known this truth abroad. And I simply contend that our difficulties in evangelism today have far less to do with training and far more to do with the impact that Jesus Christ has made in our lives. Now, I'm not against evangelism training, not in any way, but I do believe that that is almost secondary to the, the primary evangelism training would be to say, dig deep with Jesus and dig deep in grace and understand your sin and understand the grace of God at the cross of Christ that, that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And we're just talking in prayer meeting today. Um, Romans 10. Right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How simple that is. I, I, you don't need to know great things. You just need to recognize your own helplessness and realize that Jesus is your only hope. And call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. How easy it is and yet astonishingly how few people do it because they have their own self-resources. They don't believe that stuff about the cross. They don't, they don't believe it. Ultimately, it's because their eyes are closed. But God doesn't make it hard. He makes it easy. And with evangelism, you simply need to go deep in your own soul. And that would be the most effective evangelism you have. I mean, you could teach a salesman to sell his product. That's okay. But nothing sells a product better than when someone has been helped by that product. You know what I mean? Right? Someone has some medicine or some special juice that's helped them. They're, they're out talking about that or some kind of knowledge that they know. They're all about that. Because when you're impacted, you'll speak about it. That's enjoying His grace, extending His glory. That is what we are about. There's our vision as a church to be so impacted by grace. Every Sunday, let's just, let's just get that right throughout the week in our Bible reading. Just see the grace all throughout the Bible. And then go out and proclaim that. Extend His glory. Now, what's interesting here also is that Peter uses aesthetic language. He says that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. Now, the emphasis here on Peter's words isn't so much facts that we need to broadcast. It's not some technique or something. He's just saying, proclaim the excellencies. Proclaim the greatness and grandeur of God. Proclaim the kindness of God. Proclaim the mercy of God. Proclaim the love of God. Proclaim the things that, that make him lovely. Right? That's why I talk about proclaiming his fame. Proclaim the things that, that just ought to be world-renowned. We have found Jesus to be so attractive, we just want to tell you about it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him as his word, at his word, just to rest upon his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. That's proclaiming the excellence of Jesus. That he's just, he's just one who we can trust, who's trustworthy. Let me just ask, those around you, unsafe people around you, do they know that you believe in Jesus? Not because you've confronted them, even with a hard gospel and demanding them to repent or telling them they're coming to hell, but just the way you talk sweetly about your Savior. Because even as we're talking here about, about uh, proclaiming the excellencies... I think that's to Christian and non-Christian alike. It's just speaking with others about the glories of God. And if Christian ears hear it, they'll join and rejoice. And if non-Christian ears hear it, they like, whatever, maybe we'll look at it. Not like it. But you're just proclaiming how excellent he is. And what Peter's simply saying is go and tell the world. Tell all the people of how worthy our Savior is. I mean, that's all over the Bible. First, Psalm 107, we worked through in Thanksgiving, right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the adversary. You've been redeemed? Well, then say that the Lord is good and His loving kindness is everlasting. That's the idea. When Mary, the Magnificat, we looked at that over Christmas time, said uh, it's merely an expression of the excellencies of God that had showed her favor. Let me just tell you how great this God is who has shown me favor. That's all it's about. <clears throat> Remember the story in 2 Kings 7? 
Judah was in great distress. The Arameans had launched this military crusade against him and against them. And there were these lepers outside of the camp. They were starving, and they said, "Well, we we need to, maybe we'll just go into camp." As much as as uh, bad that was, um, because they were lepers, they would kill them. He said, "Well, they're going to die out here. We're going to starve out here. We're going to die in there." What they do? And then, and then they went, and they found that the camp was empty because the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to flee. And so they began to take all the spoils. They came up the deserted camp and started to be eating and enjoying all of this stuff. And they returned to the tent, took some more, and kind of returned back. It was kind of all about them. And then one of them said, hey, we're not doing what's right. This is a day of good news, but we are keeping silent. If we wait till morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come and let us go and tell the king's household. In other words, right, this great blessing has come to us, but keeping it to ourselves means to sin. Because today is a day of good news. And I say, in light of Christ coming, today is a day of good news. You keep silent about that, you're sinning. Because it's, 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 it's what God has done with us, the blessing that we just need to let it out. Now, just speak of Jesus. Speak of his preciousness. It doesn't matter who's listening. <clears throat> Whatever circumstance you have. Create opportunities. Like, starting this week, I'm going to be coaching my son's basketball team. Um, that's our, David, are you excited about that? I'm pretty excited. Okay, we, we, I coached him last year too. And um, just I'm praying for the, the kids, praying for the adults just to be involved with that. Praying for, S, for David to make a basket this year. That'd be a wonderful thing. Um, but there's, there's just an opportunity. I, I'm just, I got, as a pastor, I got to just work hard to create opportunities to reach out to people. And I think you can create opportunities too. If you think, hey, I'm not able. Well, what circumstance in your life has brought you excitement? Have you spoke forth that? I remember when SR was little, my brother, Uncle Stewie, <laughs> used to tease me about him that every conversation SR used to turn to Legos. Oh, that's like Legos. Oh, that's like Legos. Oh, that's like Legos. Because as you were, you were consumed with Legos. And that's not a bad thing. That's just what he was. He was like, but I say, if you're consumed with Jesus, people hear it like, oh, there goes that Jesus. Oh, it's about Jesus. So you're like, whatever you're consumed with, that's what you're going to talk about. And I say, just start reading the Bible, right? Just start listening to Christian music. Just start praying, and that stuff will soon come out. You say, well, what do I say? Well, how about verse 10? It's a great outline. Once I wasn't a people, but now I am a people. Once I hadn't received mercy, now I have received mercy. You might say to someone, you know what? I once wasn't part of God's family. I was off doing my own thing, but God was gracious to me, brought me into his fold. He made me one of his chosen ones, and now I'm one of his people. He's forgiven all my transgressions. It's not because I earned anything, because he paid it all, but I owe him everything with my life. Just, that's a simple outline. You can do that. You can think about the excellencies of Christ and, and you don't have to work very hard in the Bible just to come up with these. <clears throat> in Christ, all our transgressions are forgiven. Christ Jesus paid for all of our sins on the cross, washing us thoroughly from our iniquity and cleansing us from our sin. In Christ Jesus, we have received all of his righteousness. In Christ Jesus, when we stand before the judgment seat someday, he will be our defense attorney and plead our case before God. Christ has taken away all the wrath that was due upon us and taken upon himself. We face no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We have no reason to fear his judgment because perfect love casts out fear. 
We've been made alive to God. We've been raised up with Christ. He's rescued us from the domain of darkness and transformed us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's preparing a place. He's prepared a place for us in heaven where we will live for eternity. Someday we'll realize that glory that will be revealed to us will be a part of a kingdom of priests to our God. We'll be fellow heirs with Christ in the kingdom. And until that time, Jesus is praying for us with care and concern. We can approach him any time. He'll receive with mercy and grace those who come to him. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I mean, just start speaking those excellencies. It's come upon us. We've received it. I just encourage you to embrace His grace and proclaim His fame. It's what it means to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. And I think that I want to encourage you and foster you everything we can to be that trellis in the vine where the vine isn't just inward here with us, but is outward as well as we meet with people and talk with them and continue to, to, to show Christ to them and they come to faith and then we mature them and strengthen them and help them and equip them and show them what it means to be walking with God. That's my heart's desire. I trust that that will be your heart's desire. And even, even another way, right, is to go to a better marriage event. Really pray. And here's a real easy opportunity just to take some initiative, grow across the street, and speak with some people. Okay? Speak maybe with those who you need to help. Maybe even a precursor. Maybe some, just have someone to your house for dinner. Maybe a neighbor for dinner. Just start developing relationships there. So the gospel of Christ will come. Perhaps God will be gracious to you. Well, let me pray. <clears throat> oh, Father, I would pray, God, in your grace, you would help us to, to embrace your grace. God, really, apart from you, our eyes will be dull to this. We can't see it, but I pray you'd help us to see the glories of the cross of Christ. How kind you have been to us in Rockford. You didn't promise anything to us in Rockford. God, but through Christ, you have brought us to yourself. So we thank you for that. And I pray, God, you'd help us with our boldness, with our zeal, with our passion. God, to dig deep with Jesus. God, that that might go forth, we might proclaim his fame. Help us now, God. I pray also for us at church, we enjoy our fellowship dinner together. God, I pray that we would have sweet fellowship. I pray that we'd make connections so that it's not just Sunday relationships, but that we would have Friday relationships with people um, to know them, to see how we can serve them and help them. God, just life on life, that we might do life together and help one another through life thinking and reflecting upon the excellencies of Christ. In whose name we pray, amen.